Welcome to the Appalachian Baptist Network. We seek to equip, encourage, and engage pastors and church leaders in the Appalachian region. We focus on having conversations on church revitalization in the mountains and beyond. Your hosts are Matthew Jacobs, Brent Snyder, Jacob Gwynn, and Travis Tyler. Welcome back to the Appalachian Baptist Network. Today I'm here with you and I have a special guest with me and that is Dr. Don Holdridge. Uh, he, he is a professor at Liberty uh, University, but he also teaches at the seminary level, right? So you have many classes in all disciplines from Hebrew to Greek to Old Testament systematic theology. They they throw the syllabi at you everywhere, don't they? So. Well, recently, most uh, mostly the Old Testament, but uh, I've taught Greek at the Bible college level uh, for a number of years, and theology as well uh, at the undergrad and graduate level. Um, love God's Word. My brother Don is a great blessing. He's here at Grace Baptist Church with me, and I love having him and his precious family. So let's let's just kind of open this up today, and let's talk about preaching and teaching the Old Testament. And so the importance of that from the pulpit and even from at the Sunday school level or like we do here at Grace, we have, we call them Grace University classes where uh, they're a little bit more intense content wise and say what you might get in a Sunday school class. Uh, and you just finished up a series there on the Old Testament. You did, uh, what was it, survey one and two, basically, right. introduction one and two, where you broke up the Old Testament. Tell a little bit about how you did that. Well, for the uh, first half, which we did last um Last spring, we covered Genesis through Esther, the Pentateuch, and the historical books. Covered them book by book. And then uh, this past fall, we did Survey 2 after the summer break. And we, um, we covered basically the poetical books and prophetical books. So we went Job to Malachi and uh, finished that up just before Christmas. And it seemed like you had a real good response to both of those, right? Oh, yeah, there are a lot of folks. Uh, one had taken some seminary classes a long time ago. Uh, he's a layman, and, uh, of course, his family was uh, also involved, and his brother and sister-in-law, and we had a lot of, a lot of family members uh, come into the group. It was very well received. Uh, one of our uh, lay persons in the church has been uh, getting more and more involved in ministries, uh, Bruce, right. and uh, he is always asking about what materials should I use for Bible study? So um, it was a blessing to have uh, people who were so hungry and, and wanting to not just crack open their Bibles, but how do I use these tools to understand the Bible better? We're going to come back to that towards right. the end of, the, of this uh, podcast. But for now, let's kind of talk about, uh, let's shift gears back to preaching for a minute. And I know I probably spend more time in the pulpit than you do, so I'll... <laughs> I'm going to tackle this a little bit, but I think you can give me some amens on this. Uh, what preaching is and what preaching is not. So let's kind of talk about that for just a minute. You know, there's, I remember one time I was talking to a guy and he asked me one time if I shuck the corn when I preach. And I just kind of looked at him funny. I think it's more of a Pentecostal term they use to, you know, do you really get at it? And I think what he meant was, do you hack, holler, and scream? Do you... Um, <laughs> Do you what I call wind suck? You know, where you, oh, Lord, you know, and then they go again, <laughs> around and around. And that's a, that's a fairly common style that we see in the mountains a lot. And a lot of guys, uh, they do that. And I think that a lot of that stems from that's what they've seen. That's what they are have had modeled to them. 
and that's what they think that preaching is. Now, I would argue that preaching may have a little bit more intense forcefulness than, say, teaching, but good preaching is going to entail teaching, don't you think? Amen. <laughs> uh, otherwise, I'm not sure what we're doing, right? We're, we're trying to make the Word of God plain and understood by the flock and all that are there. So we're, when we're preaching, we're not just coughing, hacking, sucking wind, getting emotional. While you do need to engage, I would argue when you preach, there are two gates. This is the way my seminary prof would explain it, Dr. York. He would say there's two gates. There is an emotional gate, and there is an intellectual gate, and you need to engage both. Sometimes preaching will engage one without engaging the other. And the emotion that you preach with, and he would also say this, should reflect the emotion of the text. Well, Paul did say, I'd rather speak five words with my mind. Mm. And, uh, so that's the intellectual. And we do need to put it with the emotional because human beings are complex. They are. And uh, we're all of the above. So. Yeah, so no doubt when we're preaching, say, a lament psalm, you know, we should not be jovial necessarily in the pulpit and cutting up and laughing, right? Uh, in a similar fashion, though, when we're preaching on the resurrection and the glory of Christology, uh, we should light our faces up, right? Uh, you know, I think Spurgeon said once that when we talk about heaven, our faces should light up as the noonday sun. But when we talk about hell, our normal faces will do. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> so, so anyway. I like that. All right. So, let's, so now that we've given a little bit of definition to it, um, let's, let's kind of dive in and talk about the importance of preaching and teaching the Old Testament. I think there is a temptation in churches today to kind of stay either strictly or mostly in the New Testament. I remember there was one pastor I listened to once. He said, now take your Bibles and turn to the crisp, clean pages of the Old Testament because there just was not as much preaching and teaching from the Old Testament as there is the New Testament. So Don, tell us why preaching and teaching in a local body, in a church, for those pastors and lay leaders, why it is crucial and important for the body. Okay, um, Pastor T, I um, first want to confess that uh, as a young Christian, I was most comfortable in the New Testament. After all, as we discussed earlier, the Greek culture is a lot closer to ours than um, the culture of Moses' day, and the Egyptians, and the Babylonians, and the Persians. Um, a lot of different cultures to, to try to understand and unpack in the Old Testament. Now, that, that being said, uh, I want to start with verses from the New Testament. I'm thinking of uh, John 5. Jesus was uh, arguing with religious leaders of his day, the theological experts. Right. And he says, uh, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is these that bear witness of me. Now, when Jesus said that in AD 30 or 32, whatever, he was uh, talking about the Old Testament because mm -hmm. the New Testament wasn't written. Right. And many times in the New Testament, when you see the word scriptures, it's referring to the Old Testament. That bounces me over to uh, Paul's last letter to uh, Timothy. Near his death, Nero is on the throne, a madman to be sure. Anyways, uh, Paul was talking about Timothy and how when he was a youth, his mother and grandmother trained him in the scriptures. Right. The Old Testament. The New Testament hadn't even been completed when that was written down. Mm -hmm. So, um, and, and Jesus, when he was tempted in the wilderness, I'm bouncing back to the Gospels. Forgive me, I'm, I'm all over the place here. No, you're good. But... 
when he was um, tempted by Satan in the wilderness, what did he use to come back? He used the Old Testament scriptures, Deuteronomy passages in particular. And uh, Pastor, I'm going to out him right now. He, he has been working uh, on the book of Hebrews in the New Testament. But you cannot preach Hebrews in the New Testament without a thorough understanding of the Old Testament. Sure. He's been taking our congregation through it and um, helping them to understand uh, all of these things about Abraham and Isaac and uh, the people of faith and the hall of faith. And uh, you have to know the Old Testament. Now, uh, one of the things I do uh, in the Old Testament is uh, I, I do classes on uh, Old Testament survey, but my students do papers on Ruth. And they have to basically write, we tell them, this is not a sermon on Ruth. This is, um, this is a paper from which you will build your sermons off of. There you go. And so what I'm looking for in their papers is background. Mm-hmm. Who were the Moabites? Because Ruth came from Moab. What was their relationship to Israel? Mm-hmm. Um, what was the bad blood between them? Uh, how might Ruth have been viewed by a typical Israelite? What was the spiritual condition of a typical Israelite in the day of the judges, mm-hmm. where everyone did what was right in their own eyes? Mm-hmm. And um, uh, what about the gleaning laws from Moses? How did that work? And Levite marriage that comes into play. Um, the city gates. Boaz, when he went to, um, I guess, make uh, legally buy the land and to marry Ruth, he had to, he pulled together ten elders at the city gates. You need to study the background of the Old Testament. What happened to the city gates? All kinds of things. We even know that uh, Lot was in the sat in the gates in Sodom. Uh, but uh, David sat in the gates. They would hear, kings would hear uh, cases, legal cases. Uh, things were sold at the gates. Some big cities had individual gates, and some called the fish gate, where, guess what, they sold there. I'm going to go with fish. Yeah, yeah. good Am answer. Right? Good answer, you're right. And the sheep gate, and so on and so forth. Gates were a very important part of that culture. Now, they're not that important to us today in the 21st century, but... If you didn't understand what it meant at the gate, you're really missing what's going on in Ruth 4. And another thing, this is a problem that I see, because we turn students loose to look at all kinds of different commentaries, and sometimes they lack the discernment. Uh, when they read a commentary, they think, oh, this, this is a PhD, he knows what he's doing. And there are a number of more, uh, l- less conservative commentaries um, who will take Ruth 3 and the meeting between her and Boaz at the threshing floor. And they will, um, they will make a patent place out of that, mm. which destroys the message of the whole book. Right. They don't understand that when Ruth is asking Boaz to put the cover of his garment over him, if you go to Ezekiel 16, Yahweh, the God of Israel, put his cover of his garment over young Israel in a figurative sense there, basically saying he will marry her, he will protect her. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was what Ruth was asking Boaz. There was nothing uh, sleazy going on there. Otherwise, the rest of the book would fall apart because why would he call an honorable man and she call a woman of character? Well, and you know, there's so many important things about understanding the culture. And this might be why some guys shy away from preaching the Old Testament or teaching it. There's more homework, isn't there? <laughs> Yes, there, there is. There's more because homework. There's a greater gap in time between our day and their day. Well, and I think about in the Old Testament, um, 
And as we get more and more technologically advanced, there's an even bigger gap. I mean, if you were to take a youth, say, in 1920, he would probably have more in common with an ancient Israelite than he would with a youth today in 2020. And so there's a sure. wider gap, and it keeps getting wider in our culture as technology keeps advancing. But I can remember um, in my Old Testament class, we talked a lot about Gideon, and you, I think you brought up the threshing floor. You know, it's Gideon is, we, when we come upon Gideon, he is threshing, but he's threshing in a valley. Now, if you're just reading the text and not doing your homework, you might be tempted to think, well, that's where they thresh. But that's not actually where most Israelites would use their threshing floor, was it? They would be on hilltops, right? Because you would throw up, the chafe would come up, and the wind would blow it away on a hilltop. Exactly. So if, you weren't, if you're threshing in a valley, there's a reason you're threshing in a valley. And the reason is you don't want to be seen. <laughs> and so when we come upon Gideon, he is hiding in a valley, threshing, doing his work in a valley. He doesn't want to be seen. And the Lord rolls on him and says, Gideon, a man of, what is it? It says courage or bravery, you know? And it's like, actually, his actions communicate not so much, but God is here referring to what he will eventually be, not where he is right now. That's kind of a big deal, you know what I mean? Because uh, for Christians, that's kind of where we are. Oftentimes, God calls us what we will be, right? Righteous Excellent. before we are. But you would be tempted, I think, if you didn't do your homework to just see, oh, he's threshing in a valley and then move past that and miss that whole nugget, you know what I mean? Uh, so uh, let's talk about commentaries for a minute. You brought that up in the Old Testament. Now, I, I'm going to head and make this. This was, this was stated to me in seminary, and it was probably the first time I'd heard it. And so if you've not been to seminary, you don't have that training this may be the first time you hear this comment. They said, um, you know, no biblical scholar, good, solid biblical scholar, is going to be able to do an excellent commentary for every book of the Bible. Do you agree with that statement? I agree. Okay. It's, there's so much depth, historically, culturally, grammatically. If we had four or five lifetimes, maybe. Right? <laughs> maybe. <laughs> just we don't have a long enough life to, to be expert. You know, what's it take an average Old Testament guy to finish up compared to a New Testament guy or systematic theology guy? I mean, they've got almost four times the schooling they go to anyway, right? Yeah. So years. And so you you need you need a commentary written then by somebody who's an expert in that particular book, right? Would you or that particular writing style? Like you could have guys that are probably adept at Moses's writing style, right? Or at Yeah, there are there are different genres in the old and all the books of the Bible. The Old Testament, you've got legal literature. Mm -hmm. And we look at that differently than we do the Psalms. Right. Poetical literature. Um, you have to understand about Hebrew parallelisms and Hebrew poetry is not like uh, modern poetry. No. They don't rhyme with they don't have similar sounds, it's similar ideas or contrasting ideas, as the case may be. Or sometimes they build upon the ideas. But to understand a little bit about how to take those things apart, po uh, prophetical literature, um, of course you've got the prophets, and they constantly uh, go back to the law. Whenever you're looking at the prophets, here's just a quick and easy, easy lesson for our viewers. When you go through the prophets, you need to have your finger back on Deuteronomy 28. Mm. The prophets were covenant enforcers. Mm -hmm. And they were either saying some good things or also most of the times pretty harsh things. Right. But they were basing them off of either the blessings or the curses of the Mosaic Law. They were pulling the people back to the law saying, listen, if you follow the Lord and are faithful, 
Here are the blessings, which, by the way, make up the first 14 verses of chapter 28 in Deuteronomy. But if you don't, here is what he promised will happen to you. And that's verses 15 to 68. Mm -hmm. He spends a lot more time going through the curses. (laughs) And the prophets are constantly referring back to those. And you have to know that when you're you're studying the prophets. And, of course, the New Testament, you've got gospel literature for a genre, and you've got epistolary literature, the letters. There are some different... uh, things to know with each type of literature within the Bible itself. And and I would I would I'm gonna kinda of piggyback on that and say there's a different hermeneutical approach to those different genres. And maybe hermeneutics the first time you heard that word, it just means uh, interpreting the Bible and understanding the Bible, right? Yeah. So, you know, we would not necessarily approach uh, say Genesis with a poetry hermeneutic, right? Exactly. Because uh, so some people do, and they make the opening chapters of creation and Adam and Eve poetical, and therefore make it figurative, which I am, I am totally against. Oh, I remember when I was in <laughs> I was in uh, ETSU here, and I remember my my uh, world history professor standing up saying, "No one in the Old Testament can be verified before King David." Instead, that to this whole class full of, you know, eighteen, nineteen year old kids that. Half of them don't know their right hand from their left. And I'm sure some of those people clung to that, you know. And it, and then part of that's that mistake of applying, you know, that that hermeneutic in the wrong place. And this isn't an episode about young earth, new earth, but I think that some of that gets on the rails with applying that, you know, a day is a thousand years and a thousand years is a day. Well, it does say that in Psalms. But again, that's poetry. And, and Psalms, what some. 90, I think it was, wasn't talking about creation week, nor is Second Peter 3 that also quotes that. But uh, Moses in Exodus 20 says the, earth, the heavens and earth were made in six days, and that's what we base our work week off of. Right. So Moses wrote Exodus, he also wrote Genesis, um, and Jesus confirms, just, uh, sorry, this is my class stuff recently, I've graded this, this stuff in, uh, at Liberty. Um, Jesus said in Mark 10, 6 regarding marriage, uh, the Lord God made Adam and Eve, male and female, at the beginning of creation mm-hmm. and blessed their marriage. So I don't see billions of years between the beginning of creation and the making of Adam and Eve. But that's another story, another And I'm in agreement with you on that. <laughs> we'll have to do a young earth, old earth one sometime. But all right, Dale, uh, it would, it would, I'm just going to ask you this because this is part of me thinking about the Old Testament as a, as a preacher. Uh, some of the things that's hard about preaching the Old Testament is, for example, I, I think one of the toughest books has got to be Leviticus. And it's just because it is law, 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 story, law, 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 law. I mean, it's, Leviticus is kind of where when you're doing the read through the Bible in a year, the wheels fall off. Like you get to Leviticus and it's just, it's hard to plow through. And you lose so, your momentum. You do. And so let's kind of talk about like dealing with Leviticus and like, you know, since it's one of the harder ones, um, what should our approach be? What are we looking to pull out of that? You know, I'm still confused on why some insects are okay to eat and others are not. And why, you know, some animals are okay to eat and others are not, you know. So can you give us some insight, maybe some helps on that? Well, there's, there's a lot of um, debate as to why certain dietary laws were the way they were. Because some people say, well, it was for health. Now, we're sometimes reading our 20th century, 21st century uh, minds back into that. 
you know, if you if you didn't cook pork, yeah, you you properly you get sick. But if you didn't cook chicken, the same thing would happen. Exactly. You know, um, God set up these laws basically say, I want to separate you from your neighbors. Mm-hmm. You need to be set apart as holy people. Right. And so, the biggest thing I can think of that's safe <laughs> to come down on that issue is that. He gave these laws to set Israel apart from their pagan neighbors, right. some of whom sacrificed some of these animals in very weird ways. Some of them drank the blood of animals, and blood is forbidden. It's forbidden because it's the life is in the blood, and it, and it's he's looking at ultimately the Lamb of God who mm-hmm. takes away the sin of the world, and uh, blood is precious and and uh, is not to be trifled with, and so the Israelites were given all. Tons of well, there were the 613 commands in the Pentateuch right. <laughs> that the rabbis say are there, and um, 365 are uh, thou shalt nots, and the rest are you, you know. Maybe we should make a calendar uh, like a daily <laughs> yeah. page turner, one law every day. So, but uh, the main thing is, uh, as I've, I've looked at some of the recent commentaries on it, is you see the holiness of God. Mm. portrayed. You also see the love of God, which you don't think about when you think of the law of Moses, thou shalt not. But you see God's love for the widow, right. the orphan, mm-hmm. uh, the, the uh, downcast person. And matter of fact, some of those laws we talk about Ruth, the foreigner who comes in and is destitute, they're allowed to glean right. and to, to, to work for their food. Mm-hmm. Like leave the corners of the fields for them. Mm-hmm. And in stocks you drop, leave for them too. So you see the heart of God coming out in the law for people. But you also see the holiness of God, too. And that's the carried over to the New Testament. Now, we eat pork. We love bacon. Oh, you and I are, you know, oh, yeah. bacon cheeseburger. That's love great. catfish, all those things they couldn't eat. Amen. And, and, and a lobster and all that. But, um, but the idea is we honor God with what we eat and how we eat. Because, and we, we need to be thankful because he has given it to us. Yeah, you know, I can remember uh, one time I was pastoring. We're going to go a little bit over today, but not too much. A couple came in and they were like, "Pastor, we got to talk to you." And they said, uh, and they sat down, took their coat off. I thought they were going to tell me they had cancer, or they were going to get their son was dying, or they were thinking about a divorce. Like it was very solemn, like the whole mood of the room. And they said, "They said we're really struggling with something." I said, "Okay, what's that?" And they said. Why in the world did the day change from the Sabbath from Saturday to Sunday? We just can't figure it out. And that was what was really bothering them, you know what I mean? And so, of course, I went through and said, well, Jesus rose on Sunday, and they had to be distinguished from their Jewish counterpart of the New Covenant, and Pentecost happens on Sunday. So anyway. Resurrection Day, very good. That's mostly where I hung my hat. All right, so real quick here, last few minutes. Resources, I'm a lay leader or I'm a I've not been to seminary and I'm a pastor help me out here on how I can do better homework quick resources that should be readily available for me that I can find that'll be helpful amen I, that's that's where my heart is uh, because most of the time I, I've taught people who are not going to be uh, going on for uh, graduate level work whatever but people who are just they love the Lord they want to get to know his word better so they can follow him better so um i would start out first of all with a good study bible okay because they've they've got notes but realize the notes because i've had people in classes 
say, well, the Schofield Reference Bible notes say, I go, well, that's from 1910, yeah. and uh, we've, we've done some, a little more archaeology and a little more advanced. In, uh, Can I recommend one right now? You go ahead. Uh, I recommend the ESV Study Bible. It's one of the top-notch study Bibles that I've seen. Okay. Uh, really good scholarly work in those. That you can find that, at... You can find that at uh, CBD, Amazon, Christian Book Descriptors, CBD, and, and at Lifeway. They're Lifeway all, stores, They're yes. all going to carry that. Which I think Lifeway is now all online, so they don't have any brick and mortar stores anymore. Okay, they've shut those down, so you're going to have to go online to get some of these resources. But so you can find them virtually. Yeah. Okay. From the Good Study Bible, the next one I'd recommend is Concordance that matches the version of your study Bible. Right. <laughs> because you can look up words, uh, both from the Old and New Testament, and a good concordance, uh, an exhaustive concordance, will have numbers beside those words. And you can take those numbers, depending on whether it's Old or New Testament, and you can go to the back, the appendices, and you can actually look up the Hebrew word. There'll be a Greek spelling of it, and the actual Hebrew words of it, English spelling of it, and the Hebrew words. And then for the Greek, you'll have the Greek spelling and the English spelling of the Greek word. And you'll have um, your definitions of what those words are, and you can basically uh, start your word studies uh, just knowing English and knowing how to use numbers. Mm -hmm. going from the front of your concordance to the back. There is also another one I would call um, Vines, uh, yeah. uh, Those New are Testament and Old Testament everywhere. word studies, and they are also numbered to your to concordances. I think I saw a copy of that at Walmart the other day. Oh, great. I'm glad it's there. I mean, I, I think I did. I was I was waiting on Beck for something, and I was, I was like, oh, I'm surprised to see this here. But And then a lot of times if a, a faithful believer has passed away, you will find a Vines Concordance in a lot of lay people's libraries, won't you? Uh, no, I haven't found that anyway. But, well, so, I'm glad so you, they are. You should be able to find a Vines Concordance easily, is my point. So, And yeah. a Vines Expository Dictionary of Old Testament New Testament Words. Yeah. So it's in English, but it'll actually treat the words from the original languages. Mm -hmm. So you'll see what that word meant to those people. And you'll have cross-references to other passages. My number one uh, advice for studying the Bible is let the Scripture interpret the Scripture. There you go. Because you, you can't get in trouble uh, too much doing that. And uh, I try to f tell my students, yeah, you tell me what you believe here, but how do you confirm it? Where else in the Bible does it speak about this issue? And um, like we were trying to defend the, the, the historicity of Adam and Eve mm -hmm. in our class. And there are some on the left side of evangelicalism that are even denying that. They're saying, well, they're figurative persons. They're just representative of the human race. And I was surprised to hear that. I said, well, what did Jesus say about that? And you go to a number of places in the Gospels where he takes their stories and the stories of Noah and Jonah very literally. Right. And the other writers, Paul does it too. So letting Scripture interpret Scripture using your Bible, study Bibles, concordances, uh, word uh, word study lines, um, a, a good concordance, the New American Commentary. Oh yeah, very uh, excellent, excellent. I use the Bible Knowledge Commentary uh, as well. Um, but um, and and speaking of commentary, since you mentioned the NAC, right, New American Commentary, NAC, yeah. there are several others that are very good. I may put those in the show notes just for people to have that as a resource. Because there are some at an academic level that are accepted and some that are not. But I'm going to try to put the best for just the lay folks to get a hold of. Because NACs are pretty available too. Uh, and a lot of church libraries have those as well. So We've got them here. We have them in our library. So, All right, Don. Well, we're out of time. I appreciate it. That went, that went by quick, didn't it? 
Sure did. So, thanks. We're going to probably have you back another time, and you're going to help us go verse by verse through Leviticus, right? <laughs> That'll take a while. Ex- explain the whole thing. Right? This will be a lot of episodes. All right, we will have you back though another time. Though, thank you so much. Thank you. You have been listening to the Appalachian Baptist Network. Thanks for joining us. If you have a question or comment for our host, please send an email to Appalachian Baptist Network at gmail.com or send us a voice message on our Anchor website page at anchor.fm slash Appalachian dash Baptist dash network. Join us again next Monday.